Okay, uh, take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to go back to our series in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew in chapter number 14. Encourage you to take your Bible, follow along. We've got an important passage of Scripture to consider once again here this morning. Jesus is King. It's not just that He will be King, but He is currently King, and although all do not acknowledge that. Matthew is presenting that case uh, for the Jews and Gentiles alike of his time. And we're privileged to have it preserved for us, for us to consider here today. Jesus is king. So Matthew chapter 14, if you found your place there. By the way, tonight, 1 Samuel 17, we're considering uh, the giant Goliath and David. And so I'm excited about getting into that. It'll take us a while to get through chapter 17. So uh, looking forward to it. Trust it'll be a blessing. It is not a story just for kids. It's an account that adults need to hear. All right, so look into it. All right, let's look at this now. Uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 14 and verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. <laughs> now, the unique thing about that is that he was dead. So Herod said, I'll tell you who this is. This is John the Baptist. Come back to haunt me. We're going to read about why. All right, let's read along now. This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. Therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Verse 3. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John had said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have, to have her. And when he would have put him to death, not everybody likes Baptist preaching. He would have put him to death. He feared the multitude because they counted him, John, as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. She, notice this please, being before instructed of her mother, said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and please notice this, and them which sat with him at meat. Weak men don't want to look weak. That's what he is. He commanded it to be given her and he sent and beheaded John in the prison and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So the title of the message here this morning is this, When Haunted by Your Past. When haunted by your past, every one of us have things in our past we wish we could change. And sometimes your past comes knocking. 
But you don't have to answer the door. What do you do, though, when you're haunted by your past? Would you consider that with me here this morning? It was bothering him. I wonder how many sleepless nights this King Herod had. Um, as he, you know, regretted it, not because he was a moral man who made a mistake. He was an immoral man. No mistake about that. But he was haunted by his past. And maybe someone here today that uh, you've made choices that, that you regret. There's help here in the Word of God this morning. There's help here. So may God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. <clears throat> we'll consider when haunted by your past. As we come into chapter 14 of Matthew's Gospel, we're really in the second part of the book. As we closed out chapter 13 uh, last week and we finished with the parables of Jesus, and or, or two weeks ago rather, as I was out of town last week, but... Um, we, consider, we considered that chapter 13 was the hinge chapter. I mean, it, it, everything had built up to that. And, and Jesus was helping his disciples to understand that as the gospel is preached, there's going to be many who are going to believe and they would be like good ground. But then there would be those who would reject the message. And, and so there would be opposition. And so that's really where we are as we come into chapter number 14. We're going to see that opposition is mounting. And here's what's going to happen the Jews are going to turn on their own king. They're going to turn on their Messiah. And really, the death of John the Baptist is a precursor to the death of Jesus Christ. So it's very interesting because if you know a little bit about the New Testament, then you know that, that Jesus and, and John the Baptist are cousins. Now, Jesus, by, by uh, way of the virgin birth, he was the son of Mary, but not the son of Joseph, mind you, but they are nonetheless cousins, uh, Mary and Elizabeth, and thus John and Jesus are cousins. And so they were born uh, nearly at the same time, about six months apart. And so their lives really parallel one another. I, this is totally a side note and in extremely less significant than what we're considering right now. But in Cardinals baseball, there's a, a baseball player that just came. You thought, man, how did you get from that to this? And just bear with me here. <laughs> Some of you say, you're looking for an opportunity. No, that's not it at all. But there's a, a player that just yesterday just came into the majors or just had, you know, some of his first at-bats went four for, four for five or something like that. I mean, just had an extremely good game for a, for a you know, a rookie. Well, a young man that was, he grew up with, I mean, they played t-ball together as four and five-year-olds. Now they're on the same team in the major leagues and this pitcher just had his first game and had an outstanding outing. You might be glad to know or you might not be glad to know. Five innings he pitched and then while his, his uh, friend that he grew up with went four for five or whatever it was. I mean, just an outstanding hit a home run. I mean, the whole nine yards. So anyways, totally insignificant. All I'm saying is they grew up together. And then it's astounding that here they are, you know, at that, at that level. Well, in an extremely significantly more significant way. Here's John and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus, and their lives just parallel. 
They parallel together. And, and John, John came on the scene preaching that all men ought to repent, acknowledging that man's greatest need was not education, was not more money, was not a different government. It was rather this, they needed to be saved by the grace of God. They needed to repent of their sin. Jesus comes on the scene. What do you think he's preaching? Health and wealth? No, by no means. He's preaching exactly the same thing. He's preaching that men everywhere must, must repent and believe and trust, trust him as their savior. So John and Jesus are, are, are going at the same pace. And, and so it should in many ways be no surprise to us that as opposition is mounting in the life of Jesus, that it's also mounting in the life of John the Baptist, who's who lost his life for righteousness because he was a sinner saved by grace, preaching repentance. Jesus is a sinless man, the son of God, deity. He lived a sinless life and he's gonna die also a violent death, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the whole world. John's death is a catalyst to that. It's, it's a precursor to that. There's much confusion even as we come into chapter 14 regarding who Jesus is. And I might say today there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is today. As these mighty miracles were being done, as these messages were being preached, some said, I tell you who I think he is. I think he's Elijah. Some said, I think he's John the Baptist. I mean, others were saying that. It wasn't just Herod that was saying that. You look at Matthew chapter 16 and, and Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And, and some said Elijah because of the power of the miracles. Some said John the Baptist because of the, no doubt the, the preaching that he did. And some said, well, I think he's one of the other prophets or I think he's like one of the prophets. And here's what Herod said. I'll tell you exactly who he is. It's John the Baptist. There's no question about this. You take a man with a guilty conscience who's also highly superstitious, that's what you get. We need to understand this. There's many things that we can see here from this, this passage that man's quest for power and man's quest for, for pleasure leads to regret. Led to regret. But here's, here's what I hope you get today. You don't have to be troubled by your past. You can be free from it. You can be cleansed of it. Now, I, hey, wait a minute. I, I'm mindful that there's consequences even of forgiven sin. Everybody understand that? There, there's consequences that, that you deal with of, of forgiven sin. I'm reading through the life of David right now, and he dealt with consequence after consequence after consequence of even forgiven sin. But thank God for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And you, you don't, your past does not have to determine who you are today. It doesn't have to determine your future. In fact, I'm glad and I often like to preach that God has a future for those that have a past. Case in point would be Rahab the harlot. And often we, every time we say her name, we automatically almost think harlot. And yet she made right decisions there in the book of Joshua and married right within the people of God and became in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me God doesn't have a future for those that have a past. He does have a future for those who have a past. And, but here we're, we're dealing with a man named Herod, or that's his title. And he's, his name is actually Antipas. And he's living a very sinful life. In fact, this almost reads like a soap opera or worse, a reality television show. Can I run this by you? Herod Antipas uh, is from the lineage of Esau, so he's an Edomite. Okay, so you had Jacob and Esau, remember the twins of Isaac and Rebekah. 
And so there's, there's a Jewish connection. And Herod is familiar. Now, wait a minute. You, you really do need to get this right here. Herod is familiar with the Jewish background, the Jewish laws, the Jewish customs. He's very familiar with that. In fact, you might remember even his, his dad, Herod the Great. All right. Herod the Great was the Herod, uh, the ruler that was on the scene at the time when Jesus was born. And so when he heard that he was born, that was called king of the Jews, he was on a power trip and wanted to be the king. And so he said, I'm going to get rid of this, this potential king by destroying all the babies that are in Bethlehem. Remember that? That's Herod the Great. But do you remember what he did? He called in the, the scribes and the priests and the, the leaders, the religious leaders, to ask them, now where is it that Messiah is going to be born? He knew that there would be a Jewish Messiah. He was familiar with the laws. He understood that. And so he asked them, where is Jesus to be? I'm sorry, where is the Messiah, who is Jesus, to be born? And they said, well, he's to be born, according to Micah chapter number 5 and verse number 2, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, of Judah. He's to be born there. So all I'm establishing is this. We're talking about Herod, who was an Edomite out of, the, out of the lineage of Esau, but he knew enough about the Old Testament scriptures to know what was right and to know what was wrong. Okay, fast forward a few years, you got Herod Agrippa II. And, and as Paul, I'm reading about Paul also in the book of Acts. And as Paul is appearing before Herod Agrippa, uh, he, he acknowledges that Agrippa, he says, I'm glad to speak to you because I know that you know the Jews and I know that you know their customs. I'm just simply saying this. Listen, we're not talking about a group of individuals that did not have some sense of, of spiritual or some sense of scriptural knowledge even. Here's the problem. They only utilized it when it benefited them. So you have Herod Antipas, of whom the historian said it'd be safer to be his pig than his son. He had about nine wives, some say ten. So here's Antipas, all right? Okay, now this gets a little bit complicated, so I'm definitely going to use my notes right here just because here's what happens. Sin complicates living. And it makes things confusing. So here you have the Herods, okay? So you think about Herods as like a ruler. And so they're in the public eye. I mean, if, if there were tabloids back in that time, they would have been on the, on, the mar, on the shelves. As you're checking out at Walmart in Jerusalem, you would have seen the Herods. The Herods. I mean, people, the, the royalty. I mean, the people were intrigued by it. Kind of like this, the Kennedys or the Clintons or the others that people, you know, would be interested in. Not everybody may have enjoyed that statement, but I'm just simply saying it would be kind of at that level. We, we, we kind of inquiring minds want to know, I mean, what's going on there? The Herods. Ah, did you hear? What? Herod left his wife. You talking about the, the king of Petra's daughter, the princess, he left her? Yeah, you know who he left her for? Oh, he left her for his brother's wife, Philip, you know, Philip the one that was, that was his half-brother, he left her for Herodias. The one, Herodias? You talking about Herodias? The same one that was the, the daughter of Astabulus, the, the, another brother of theirs, so he married his niece? I'm not making this up. Yeah, he, he left her and, and she left him. And so now they're together. And, and, and so now, you know, their daughter, Salome, is, is with them. I'm talking about Philip and, and um, Herodias, his daughter, is now with them. And she's a teenage, you know, girl. By the way, she's going to go on and she's going to marry. Hang on, bear with me here just a minute. She's going to marry one of Philip's brothers. So at one time, she became her mom's aunt and her sister-in-law. So 
So then there's this big war because the king of Petra, he's, he's just upset because he put his daughter aside to marry this, this woman. And so then there's war, there's conflict that's going on. And, and so all that's, all that's going on around, around that area, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's such a complicated, confusing situation because that's what happens when you leave God's plan. You cannot depart from, I need to clear off a spot right here. You cannot depart from God's plan for marriage and not have complications. You just can't do it. You cannot depart from God's plan for marriage and not end up in serious trouble. And, and some of you could testify to that. And there's some things in your past that you wish you could change. In fact, you're probably going to encourage this preacher. Preacher, listen, don't hold back today just because you know my situation. You go ahead and you preach it strong because you might prevent somebody here today. You might prevent somebody here today from making a big old mess of their life, like a royal mess of their life if they just listen. And you'd say, please don't hold back right there. Is that, is that what I'm hearing from you? Please don't hold back. And, and listen today, I, I'm telling you, we're going to get there. And I want you to see this, that divorce does not have to define who you are. Remarriage and, and adultery and fornication and all those things, they don't have to define who you are. But listen, we need to deal with what the Word of God says, because the Word of God says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall, shall be joined into his wife and they shall be one flesh. That is God's plan. This very morning while I'm preaching up here, just directly below us in the sixth grade department, Brother Brian Wells is flinging it down there to those sixth graders, preaching that verse in Genesis chapter number two to help them to understand, first of all, that there's male and female. And that he brought her unto the man. And, and he's, he's just gonna, he told me what he's preaching today, so I know what he's preaching. And we're trying to help those sixth graders so that then when they go into that junior high or that high school and they get into their adult years, they don't end up living lives that's like this. Just yesterday, I went on a hike with, the, with some of the dads and the, and the sixth graders as they're transitioning. You know, we do this every year as their, their last Sunday before they go into, into the youth group. Uh, it's their passage into manhood. They went up the mountain as boys. They came down as men. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> but on the way down, I had quite a, quite a discussion with the young man that comes by way of bus. And, and, and we got to talking about many things and... But one of which uh, was about uh, even the LGBTQ plus. And uh, he said, I, I know a lot of people are against it, but I think it's okay. We entered into a discussion. I said this, listen, uh, we're, we're hiking. And, I, and I'm saying, I said this to him. I said, listen, God loves every person and will save anybody in any, from any sin. And he did. He saved some and he saved them out of that life and brought them into a different life. So if God saved them out, that means he's not okay with whatever life it was that they were in. Is that clear? Does that make sense? And so, and so we kept talking about that. I said, you know, it's kind of like this. You know, we had a group that was kind of working ahead of us on the way up there. I was doing my best to kind of lead the way. And because and, you can kind of take a few wrong turns there and I've done it. Okay. There's cacti and there's brush and there's everything that contend with there and, and steep, you know, ravines. And I knew for sure we didn't want to take that left-hand turn. In fact, now it was such a confusing turn that there's actually now about four or five boulders that are sitting there to say, turn right. Okay. Cause I've been left. 
So they had these boulders here. Well, on the way back down, I let some of the young, young men, you know, they get too far ahead of us. I said, now, listen, you can lead the way, lead out, but just make sure that you're within shouting distance of me so that I can try to help and such. So, so anyways, they did, but they went left. Somehow, I mean, they're six or eight boys. They jumped over those boulders and they're headed down that way. And so this young man's with me. We're having this discussion. I mean, right now we're in the midst of this discussion. Everybody following this? We're in the midst of this discussion. And, and, I, and he said, hey, did they go the right way? And I said, no, they went the wrong way. And so he said, hey, you went the wrong way. That's what he said. I said, you remember in a moment ago when you helped them by telling them they went the wrong way? And here, here's what he said. He said, well, eventually everybody gets down, whatever path you take. I prayed right there. Lord, help me right here. I said, you know, listen, I, I've, I've been down that way. And if you go down that way, it's, it's going to be with pain. And I've been a lot of other ways there. Enough, I've, been all, I've been up that mountain about 15 times now, just on my own and in a, in a group. And I, and I know where the wrong turns are. And I still get a little bit confused. <laughs> But I've been walking through some cactus areas and so forth. And I'm telling you, all you got to do is just get off trail one time and you'll feel the pain of that. And I, and I said to him, and I hope this is coming across right. And I'm just sharing this with you because, listen, we need to be mindful of how to pray even for our young people as they're growing up and they're being inundated. In fact, I'm going to say indoctrinated. I said, you know, which would you rather do? And I pointed, I just pointed out to something that was not a trail. I mean, there was cactus and there was all kinds of brush there. I said, would you rather go that way or would you rather stay on this path right here? And, and I think me and a sixth grade boy, he said, oh man, I tell you the truth, I'd like to go that way. But you're not helping my illustration here at all. <laughs> I said, you know, you could go that way, but you'll have pain as a result. Can, can I help you here this morning? I know you know this, but if you get off of God's path, for marriage, whatever, whatever deviation it is, there's pain associated with that. Is that right? That's right. And, and see, we're, we're old enough and have experienced enough life to know that that is true. But these young ones coming up, they don't have the experience to go off of until there's a lot of pain in their life. What a mess. What a mess Herod and Herodias and this family's in. And, and so here's Herodias was so irate. I mean, she's the Jezebel of the New Testament. Don't you know? She's so irate with this John the Baptist because he, he had the audacity. He had the audacity to say to my husband, my man, he said, it's not lawful for you to have me as his wife. See, the Herods had the idea somehow they lived above the law. But John the Baptist was on the scene to say, nobody lives above the law. And he preached it straight. I, pre I know he preached it with love and compassion, but he didn't back down from it. Neither did Jesus. So Herodias was irate. She was ready to kill John the Baptist. In fact, the text tells us that even, even um, Herod was ready to kill John the Baptist. He would have killed him. Now he backed off of that because of political reasons. But he, he was ready to kill him. Herodias certainly was ready to kill him, so much so that the text indicates to us that she gave her daughter a, a scheme, a sinister plot. And, and the, even though, I mean, there's, there's a lot of details here that we don't know, but, but certainly Herodias was in on this and she had it in her mind what to do from the very beginning. And so she told her daughter, the princess, to go in and dance before, no doubt, these drunken men. I'm talking about a party like it was maybe in the days of Ahasuerus or a party like it was in the days of Belshazzar 
Nebuchadnezzar that you read about in Daniel chapter number five. I mean, just a drunken party that's going on with his lords and his captains. And listen, friends, listen, they were not having a Bible study that morning. They were not having a Bible study at his, his birthday bash. It was on. And so normally it'd be a servant girl that would come and do this. But here was the princess, the, the king's stepdaughter that came in and danced, no doubt, erotically and inappropriately and immodestly before him. And, and, he, and he was pleased with her so much so that he said to her, listen, whatever you want to the half of my kingdom. In fact, it's a shame how much men are spending on pornography. What a price men are paying to have a relationship with somebody on the side. Are you listening to me here this morning? It's no different today. The issues now are the issues then. And so he says, I'll give you whatever you want up to the half of my kingdom. And she went and talked to her mom. The book of Mark tells us even a little bit more about this. And she's demanded the head of John the Baptist. Why did she want the head? It probably is that she wanted to make sure that, that Herod wasn't going to pull a quick one on her to let him somehow escape and get off the hook. She wanted to make sure it was indeed John. And I'm telling you, what a, what a atrocious, gruesome, violent, all rooted in sexual sin. Sexual sin often leads to violent crime, even in our own society. How many times have you heard, turned on the news and seen a shooting or a murder and it's all related to jealousy and revenge and other things of that nature. Are you listening to me this morning? I'm telling you, we're reading, we're reading what God has reserved for us because in many ways it reads just like a newspaper. Sexual sin has been a leading cause of 60, 63 million plus deaths in America. I said, sexual sin has been a leading cause of 63 plus million deaths. You see, John the Baptist's head ended up on a plate, but babies, unborn babies, have also had that same fate. John the Baptist was executed without a trial for no sin, and so have babies that have been in the womb. So we can't look at Herod and, and, and Herodias and say, what a wicked, debauched society that they should kill such an innocent man. What a debauched society we live in today that takes the life of innocent babies from the womb. Amen. They killed John the Baptist. You just imagine the day that a man entered into Herod's court said, King, I, I was out and I heard a lot of commotion going on and realized that there's a man there that just healed another man. In fact, before the week before that, there was a blind man that couldn't see and now he can see. And the week before that, there was a lame man that couldn't walk and now he can walk. And the week before that, there was a man that was dead and he's alive. <laughs> And the week before that, are you with me? You follow me here? And, and the week before that, he was out there preaching on the hillside and, and there was multitudes that were there. And, and along about that same time, he took five loaves and two fishes and two, five, yeah, five loaves and two fishes and fed a multitude of people of 5,000 men, not, not even counting their wives. And you know how many kids the Jews have. There's, there's all kinds of people that he fed out there that day. I mean, these mighty miracles are being done. What do you think about that, Herod? I'm telling you what it is. It's John the Baptist. He's come back to haunt me. Now, now, wait a minute. Let me go back to what we consider the very first part of the message. Everybody listen to this right here. Because Herod had access to the scriptures. Herod had access to people who knew the scriptures. In other words, what I'm saying to you is Herod had access to the revelation of God. 
Herod had access to it. Not necessarily that he was utilizing it, but he had access to it. He could have dug into the scriptures. He could have went to Isaiah chapter 35. He could have went to the book of, to the book of Joel and the book of other, other prophecies that were there about, about the Messiah when he comes. He could have got into the Bible himself and seen who Jesus was, that he came and he even could have listened to maybe a message that even John the Baptist would have preached. Behold the Lamb of God that taken away the sin of the world, which included Herod's sin. And it included Herodias' sin. And it included the sin of all mankind. He could have heard that message. He could have known Isaiah 53, that he was stricken for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sins, that the iniquity of all of us was placed upon him. He had access to that. And yet he continued to be haunted by his past because he lived in regret without revelation. Basically this, he did not accept Jesus for who he really was. And as a result of that, he continued to be haunted by his past. Because until you accept or receive Jesus for who he is, you'll be troubled by your past. But when you realize that he is the sacrifice for your sin, that it's through His blood that you can be forgiven, that your guilt can be removed. Are you, are you listening to me here this morning? This is some good news right here. When you realize, you say, wait a minute, isn't there a stipulation like if you've done this, then He can't forgive that? No, there's no stipulation to this. He forgives all sin. He forgives all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, all iniquity. There's not a sin that he does not, he's not able to forgive because of who he is. So listen, I'm telling you this morning with as much earnestness as I can, can get across this with, as much as, as much passion to get this to you, that listen, you don't have to be troubled, plagued and distraught and even haunted by your past if you will accept Jesus for who Jesus is and apply that to your life to say, God, I believe you that you, you are, are a, a forgiving God. You pardon iniquity. I don't deserve that, but I'm trusting you that forgiveness is a fact and not a feeling because there's times I don't feel forgiven, but it's not based on my feelings. It's based on the fact of who he is and what he came to do, friend. And that's why when your past comes knocking, you don't have to answer the door because Jesus already paid the price for that sin on the cross of Calvary, was buried and rose again that you might be saved. His death on the cross covered it all. Now, when you take that truth and you apply that to the type of sins like we have in our world today and even the sins of Herod and Herodias, on our human side, we say, why should Herod be forgiven? Let me ask you this. Could Herod be forgiven? Well, wouldn't that be a marvelous account if Herod... In fact, later, uh, later Herod said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian? Don't you wish sometimes you had like, it was actual tone as to how those statements were made in scripture? Because I, I believe that Herod and Agrippa is saying, almost thou, you're, you're trying to persuade me to be a Christian like in an arrogant, rebellious way. 
not like he really wanted to be. Because although they had the scriptures available to them, they did not avail themselves to the scriptures. Today, I wonder if you're troubled by a sinful past. Maybe today you, you got off that trail and you, you've, been on, you've been on that rough trail and you, you were pricked with the pain of a divorce. You were pricked with the pain of, of infidelity. You were pricked with the pain of, of, of disappointing people that you love. And if you could take it back, friends, you would. The fact is you can't change that. But you can't accept him for who he is. And he'll accept you for who you are. And he'll begin a new work in you. Certainly you shouldn't make things worse by going on down in that path. You know, the best thing to do when you realize that you're on a wrong path, get off of it and get on the right path. Turn around. It's called this repentance. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank God today that there's people in this very auditorium who have tasted the good mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and have been down some of those, those wrong paths, those wrong trails, and God's brought you back. And today, if, if I'm describing you and you'd like to be forgiven of your sin, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever. I wonder today, did that include Herod and Herodias and Salome and Philip? Did it include all those, Antipas, Herod the Great? Oh, sure it did. Does it include you? It most certainly does, sir. It certainly does, ma'am. And there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen. And you don't have to be haunted by your past. But if you live for pleasure, you'll end up in regret. What do we need to do? Well, if you're not saved today, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. If you are saved today, we have a message to take, a message of forgiveness, but we also must stand like John the Baptist, even if it costs us something, to say nobody lives above God's law. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you stand today here this morning? You don't have to be haunted by your past. There's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've got decisions that have really hurt your life or the lives of others that you love. Rather than being troubled by that, accept Jesus for who he is. The sinless sacrifice for sin. The one who would remove God's wrath by taking it upon himself. None of us deserve that, but thank God he was willing to pay such a price. Father, today, there may be some here that are plagued by regret. And I pray today through Jesus, they'd find that true forgiveness. As you have explained it in scripture, that it is full, it's free because of the price that was paid. And dear God, I realize that there are complicated issues that would have to be worked through, but Lord, you're able to do that. And you've done that. 
thank you that you are able and that you have. And so God, I pray today that Lord, you'd help. Lord, that those that are not saved, first of all, I pray again for them that they might trust you today and be forgiven of their sin and receive the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all that are saved, dear God, and as we continue to deal with this old sinful flesh, I pray that you'd help, Lord, that they would understand the truth of your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 251, Jesus is calling.